You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross he's never lost a battle and he never will did you have a favorite movie not just a favorite movie but like a character and then I'll take it a little bit further maybe you had a favorite superhero growing up for me it was Spider-Man he was my favorite hero growing up and not because he had these powers but uh, I mean that was kind of cool but I I actually uh, identified with the fact that Peter Parker was a a scrawny white kid and I was a scrawny white kid so it was like man if Peter Parker can be a superhero then then I can be a superhero I had some others that I really liked some of my favorites the original Falcon was one of my favorite superheroes growing up not that we had anything in common but I really liked his outfit and thought he was really cool I mean let's just be honest I had a lot of favorite superheroes I was kind of a comic nerd Um, I was so geeked when Spider-Man came to the big screen in 2002 that it was like that was coming to life for me, the things that I had read throughout my childhood. And then I was even more excited when the MCU released its first film and its first movie in 2008, Iron Man, because I loved Iron Man too. It was just like everything was coming to life for me. But now I was much older and it was like I kind of had to say, well, I can't get too excited. Uh, That's kind of nerdy right now, isn't it? for a 40-something-year-old guy to be so excited about all of this, but I was. I liked that movie, and, and what I appreciated over the now, even however many years it's been, since 2008 about Marvel, is their purposeful representation in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that, that they created when it comes to good triumphing over evil or, or justice winning the day, which is what we all kind of like to go see and enjoy. And here's what, it, what I've seen from them. It doesn't take a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Captain America in their movie to defeat evil actually anybody could be a superhero there's no sexism no ageism no classism no racism when it comes to being a superhero these days anybody can be one the movie that we're featuring today much like Black Panther movie did for the black community in 2018 broadened our view of who could be a superhero by skillfully depicting Asian superheroes The movie is Shang-Chi, and now having said that name and having to think about it throughout the rest of the morning, I want to show you this first clip today because of a funny interaction we had in our staff meeting this past week about the pronunciation of this hero's name, which the movie is titled after. So let's watch our first clip this morning. So probably mention that my name's not technically Sean. What? What is it? It's... Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. 
上气，上气，上，上，上，上 ，S H A N G， 上，上 ，Yeah. You change your name from Sean to Sean. Yeah, I don't. I wonder yeah. how. I wonder how your father found okay, you. I was 15 years old. The clip has nothing to do with anything today in this message except the humor that can occur, culturally speaking, for all of us when we have colloquialisms or pronunciations that are cross-cultural for us and hard for us maybe to pronounce. Which, by the way, when speaking of being cross-cultural, Christians are called to do that better than anybody else, live cross-culturally. Let's remember Diverse representation and those who can defeat an evil enemy is not the MCU's idea. Hello? Every person feeling like they have as much power as the next person, regardless of their skin color, cultural background, socioeconomic status, gender or age, was not Stan Lee's creation. It was God's creation and his redemptive plan for the earth. Not convinced? Then think about Jesus and what he told the 72 disciples when he sent them out to do gospel ministry in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. And he said, listen, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. He's basically saying to any who's my disciple, I'm giving you this power. We all have the same power available to us to overcome what? The power of the enemy. Paul told Timothy, forget ageism. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Paul also reminded us in Galatians 3.28, forget classism, forget sexism. When it comes to the power of the gospel, when we are saved, we are equal. We come equally to the footing of the cross, and we are equal in Christ. No isms in the kingdom of God. He said no matter our race, gender, social status, we all stand on the same equal footing in Christ. We also know that Jesus tore down every dividing wall. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, 3, and 4, so that we could be one, so that one day, Revelation 7, 9, every tribe, tongue, and nation would be gathered around the throne, having completely triumphed over the devil. So church, as grateful as I am for the barriers that the MCU has tried to break down, it is and was and always will be God's idea that we should be the greatest barrier breakers of all as we overcome the power of the enemy together as one because Jesus saved us and called us to do so. Amen? So let's talk about this battle that we've won in Christ, that we just sang about, that he's never lost and that he never will. That we're still fighting today. So I said last week, I'm not here to uncover what the director of the movie's trying to say necessarily, but more of how we can use these creative elements in this series to highlight what we believe God wants to hear us to hear this morning. So something I see in this movie, again, not necessarily the director's intent, is a similarity to the biblical meta-narrative, or if we're going to have a little bit of biblical theology today, the biblical meta-narrative of creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That's what you see from the beginning all the way, and we're still a part of that. So for example, Talo, which is this place that, that you see in this movie, it's like the Garden of Eden. It's this really beautiful, kind of fantastical place. It's a type, if you will, for me in this Garden of Eden. So there's this parallelism to God's command to Adam to lend or to tend to the garden and subdue it. 
Much like in this movie, the people that inhabit Tallow are supposed to tend to this garden and keep evil out. Keep evil where it's supposed to be. See, this is what God told Adam to do in the garden. He said, I want you to subdue it. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. And I want that to be your meaningful work. So he was tasked for keeping out the bad and cultivating the good in the world. If you watch this movie, the inhabitants of Taloa were, were tasked with keeping evil, if you will, out and keeping good in this particular place. And although the earth was created perfectly here, I'm talking about us now, it was not created completely. What do I mean by that? God, through his vice regents, which would be Adam and Eve, he commanded that this work of completion be carried out as co-equals to have dominion over everything. So here's what they're to do. If you know the story, things didn't go so well. They were supposed to continue to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth and then enters the serpent. He shows up and he tempts both Eve and Adam with power. In the movie, Shang-Chi, father, his father somewhat represents an Adamic character in this theological parallel that I'm looking at today. Again, the parallels are not exact. They're not even meant to be there. That's not what's in the movie, per se, in the director's mind. But what I see that is indicative of Adam was that a man in this particular movie, this would be Shang-Chi's father, was given an opportunity to choose power to be used for good or to be used for evil. The same choice given to Adam, was he going to follow the father or was he going to choose his own power? Was he going to choose what was good or was he gonna choose what was evil? And when given the choice, many times we have a difficult time making the righteous decision. So let's look at this second clip this morning. 但他想要的只有征服。Problem with power and control, the things that we think will satisfy, the power to be in control, the power to be our own God is insatiable. And we don't, we don't really think about it that way, like when we're making choices in life, like, well, I'm going to be my own God right now. Nobody thinks that way. And yet, we still struggle with it. Whenever you bite the apple, so to speak, take control, gain power over your life, here's what happens. You just want it more and more. As God's vice regent, Adam was to undertake the continuation of God's creation through separation. This was one of the jobs that he was given. God separated the light from the darkness. God separated what? The day from the night. He separated the land from the water. He separated the ocean from the sky. And then God placed Adam and Eve in Eden so that they could continue to keep anything that was unholy from adulterating that which was holy. The point of this separation was so that God's presence could increasingly dwell upon the earth until every inch of creation was as holy as Eden and inhabited by God's presence. That's what he was saying. I want you to fill the earth with this same glory that you have here. This is your job. The tragedy, however, is that Adam failed. He chose his own power. He chose his control. And in our movie, the father, his name is Zhu Wen Wu, who is Shang-Chi's father, is representative of Adam to me, the father who failed. Like Adam was faced with the whispering lies of the serpent and disobeyed God. 
rather than casting out the serpent as God had told him to do, really, and given him the power to do, if you will, as his priestly duties in the garden demanded, Adam instead invited the serpent in. Rather than ignoring the twisted deceptions and trusting in God's words to him, Adam believed the serpent, questioned the very motives of the one who created him and loved him the most. Adam believed the whispers of the liar, and because of this denial of the proper authority of God, he chose autonomy instead. Therefore, Adam and Eve, now what? Were separated from God's presence. The separation continued, but now it was the unholy from the Holy One. This is known as the fall. Remember I said a moment ago, the biblical theology that we understand from Genesis to Revelation is creation, the fall, redemption, new creation. This is the fall. And the rest of the Bible, if you will, is the story of the Holy One, God, reestablishing relationship with the unholy people. Until the incarnation when God comes to earth as a baby and changes everything forever. Jesus came to live the sinless life that we were supposed to live. Die the death that we should have died when he took our place. So that upon faith in the resurrection and Christ's merit, not our own, the curse of Eden would be reversed. That's the story we're all still a part of today. That's what I want you to be assured of today. Whether we're talking about Adam or in this movie, the fathers, you and woo, or we're talking about you. We all have a choice to fight and we all have access to the same power to win. This is the grand inclusion, if you will, that we all are invited to be a part of through the cross of Jesus Christ. We all have a choice to fight, and we all have access to the same power to win. In some ways, Shang-Chi is a type of savior, if you will, in this movie, which is really what every superhero movie's about. Somebody coming to what? Save the day. The second Adam in this kind of parallel, if you will, who comes to do what the first Adam, his father, could not do, defeat the lying serpent, or in this movie, the dragon. In the biblical story where Adam failed, Jesus did not. Where Adam came and gave into the deceitful whispers, Jesus did not. Jesus heard the same lies. He heard the same temptations. He heard the same whispers for power and control in the wilderness. But instead of losing that fight, he chose to defeat the devil by living the power of God's word and obeying the Father. Much like our problematic stereotypes, though, when it comes to what a hero looks like, and we still have those problems today, even in the church, of what a a, a super Christian looks like in some ways. What a preacher is supposed to look like. What a Christian is supposed to look like. Jesus had the same image problems then. He needed a better PR guy, if you will. Because he didn't look like a king. He didn't look like the prophet that they are expecting. He didn't look like the great high priest that they were believing for, at least in the way that the popular religious culture expected to see it. Not sure why this was such a shock to them, because God had been raising up people who others didn't expect to be raised up for years. And he still does it today. You see, from the very beginning, God had always been choosing the smallest, the most overlooked, the the, the smallest tribe, the smallest shepherd, the woman that nobody knew about. All of these things had continually been chosen by God when everybody else was saying, yeah, but what about this person? They really look like they could be powerful. 
So back to the ongoing meta-narrative of redemption. God is redeeming his people, and that's what he does throughout the entire Old Testament. God would raise up a Savior, and the people would be redeemed, and then they would fall again, and again, and again. But each time, God never seemed to use someone that everybody else was looking to be used. That everybody else was looking for. God didn't choose the person that met the popular idea of power and heroics. There's one time that he did, and it was Saul. That didn't go very well. It's like, this is what it's going to look like to be, oh, we want him. He looks like a leader. See, what would happen if we would see what God sees, not only in ourselves, but also in other people? And I think that's the problem many times, church, is that, that we don't see what God sees in us. We don't see the, the, the power that he has placed in us through the resurrection. And then we don't see it in other people either. Because they don't fit the mold. They don't look the same. They don't look the part. So we're going to watch this next scene that kind of depicts that. I'll give a little bit of a warning in case there's people that, you know, these, these are fight scenes. So there is violence in these fight scenes. So if that's something you don't want to watch, you can close your eyes. Uh, don't leave, please, because I think there's something important for you to hear today. Uh, but for these next three clips that we see throughout the morning, there are fight scenes in these movies. So let's watch this one. You have the wrong guy. Does he look like he can fight? Come on, bro. <laughs> You okay? Up until this point, Katie thought Sean was just a normal guy who would refuse to grow up, so they just would spend their life kind of cutting up and not growing up. And all of a sudden, this is the first moment that Katie realizes that Sean is more than just a regular guy she hangs out with. He can fight. Now, our fight is not physical. So that's what I'm saying, the parallels break down. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, spiritually speaking, is that we need not be surprised by who can live for and wield the weapons of our warfare against spiritual forces of wickedness, which all believers are called to do. Also, others should not be surprised that you're a believer. I didn't know you were a Christian. Wow, I didn't know you had that power in your life. No one should be surprised by the power of the resurrection that lives inside of those who claim to belong to Jesus. And this scene is how I think it must have felt for David's brothers when he showed up and went out to kill Goliath. Like, what are you doing here? You know what I think? I think the enemy loves it when we base our ideas about who's able to walk in power or lead or defeat the enemy based solely on outward factors and external judgments. He loves it when you judge yourself that same way. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not strong enough. Church, as believers, we have to remember our real power is not seen externally. Spiritual power is not predicted, predicated, or defined by gender, size, skills, or age. Why is it that as humans we have such a problem with defining spiritual strength and power one way? You're not old enough. 
You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not man enough. But that is not what God is looking for. In the story of David and Goliath, and in this what we just saw, and in your own life, God both then and now looks at the heart. He said while other people are looking at the outside, God is looking at your heart. He sees what no one else seems to look for, and he sees what no one else seems to see. The power of the resurrection in your life. I don't have time to unpack this whole story, but let me briefly look at David and Goliath's story, which is not an analogy for us being underdogs and heroically and courageously facing down our own giants. Just to get that out of the way. I do think it is about courage, but more so about the root of David's courage, which is still the same root of your courage to this very day and what we can draw from this story. Let's start with his brothers and Saul and all the other powerful dudes that were out there because they looked like and acted like they should be out there. However, when it came to the things that they put their hope in and their courage in the most, right, they had all met their match. Because what did they put their hope and courage in? Their physical prowess, their ability to fight, their strength, their bravery. And did you know that if you measure yourself by the world's standards of power and success, and even in the Christian world, by spirituality, you will always encounter somebody who's bigger, badder, and stronger than you. There's always somebody that can beat you. But in this case, physical prowess was the measuring stick physically, and every man in that Hebrew army was overmatched. Fighting Goliath looked like sure death. So they were afraid. But why didn't David look at this match with Goliath as a suicide mission? Why didn't he see it that way? He was as physically overmatched as anybody else, maybe even more so as this young man. These guys knew the same stories David knew about God and the people of Israel. They knew the stories of deliverance, about how God had overcome giant after giant, giant adversary after giant adversary. But what they knew to be true about God in the past did not encourage them in the present. Church, I'm here to tell you today, what you know about God in the past is not just supposed to be for the past, it's supposed to encourage you for the battles that you are in in the present. Has that ever happened to you where you forget the past? You forget the faithfulness of God. You forget the goodness of God, not just in your own life, but in the lives of those people around you. You forget what God has done, and all of a sudden the present doesn't go very well. Forgetting the past because of big problems in the present has never gone well for believers. In this case, they lacked courage to face Goliath because at this moment, here's what they lacked. They lacked faith, and I believe that's part of what this story is all about. For whatever reason, despite all the stories and all the past experiences of God's triumph for his people, Goliath looked bigger than God to everybody but David. Each man believed the lie that if he went out against this humongous human, he would end up being dead himself. So why did David respond differently? Because he was a superhero and we can be too? No. No. He was a human just like you and I. But here's why he was different than everybody else. It was because his courage was rooted in his confidence in God's promises and God's power to fulfill them. 
His courage was rooted in his confidence, not in himself, not in his slingshot skills, not in any of that. His courage was rooted in his confidence in God's promises and God's power to fulfill them. He was not self-confident, he was God-confident. We got plenty of people that are self-confident. We need more people in the church that are God-confident. Here's what he believed. David believed that God would never break his promise. And if Goliath made himself an obstacle to God's promise, God would flick him out of the way with a smooth pebble. What's an obstacle to what God's doing in your life right now? Maybe you need to believe that just as easily as God could flick that hindrance out of God's way, he can flick the hindrance out of your way as well of what he's promised in his word, what he promises to us. David saw God as bigger and stronger than this scary giant Philistine, so he went out to fight knowing that God would give him the victory over Goliath. And when he did, the victory would demonstrate what? God's power and faithfulness, not David's courage and heroics. You see, like every other story in the Bible, the ultimate hero is God. The ultimate hero is Jesus, not us. We're just used by a loving father. And he's given us the power for victory. And I want us to understand that as human beings, we are in a cosmic battle still today against evil. Here and now. And if David's story tells us anything, it tells us that faith in God cannot, should not be hindered by external factors in what we see. But you may say, well, I'm just not that courageous. I'm just not that spiritual when it comes to the devil and the tactics or even fighting sin in my own life. I, I just don't think that I can do it. I don't think I have the power. But remember this, courage is not an autonomous, self-generated virtue. You're not going to muster it up. It's not reserved for superheroes or the super spiritually elite. Here's what courage is produced by. Courage is always produced by faith in a faithful God. Whether our faith is in God or ourselves or something else, courage is always produced by faith. Faith in whatever we're putting it in. I see a lot of these things on, this is in my notes, but I was just thinking about a lot of these TikTok videos I've been watching recently, I don't know what happened to my algorithm, but I got to get off of it because all these things are people jumping off of like high cliffs or roofs into bodies of water. And the, the caption's like, no fear. I'm like, no brains. <laughs> no fear. And, and you say, well, maybe there is courage there. They've got courage in what? Themselves to land that thing. But I still think it's stupid. And I don't think it's smart. It's not very courageous. But yes, it's courage in themselves, faith in themselves. But David is such a helpful example for us, not only because he fueled his confidence and courage to face Goliath from God's promises, but also because he so frequently felt fearful and needed to encourage his soul again to remember God's promises. I mean, we look at him and go, that's me. Because all you got to do, a perusal of the book of Psalms, maybe particularly Psalm 1 through 25, will help you see how much David battled fear and unbelief, sadness and even frustration, and how he voiced them in song. All of us experience fears in the fights of life. So did David. But much like him, faith should do something inside of us to trust God. And faith did more for David than just give him courage. It also made him indignant. I think sometimes we just need to get a little angry about what's going on, that it's evil in this world, that we've had the power to overcome. See, when we see things, we oftentimes, well, I, just, I don't know if we can overcome that. Listen, Jesus has given us the power to overcome all 
the power of the enemy. And when he heard the Philistine, David that is, defy the living God and his army, it made David angry. And when nobody stepped up to defend God's honor and to defend God's name and to defend the glory of the God of creation, God looked weak and David wasn't having any of that. I'm not doing this. And that's how we should respond as well to every fear and lofty opinion or thought, as Corinthians says, that raises itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the earth today. Here's the deal. Our fears are not primarily about what we're afraid of. They're not even primarily about us, even though they feel that way. Our fears are primarily about God. They call into question God's character. They call him weak or non-existent. They defy God and his church, which is his bride in the, in the world today. This is an affront to God, and our call is to stop cowering and stand up to our fears, not allowing them to intimidate us into unbelief, but to trust in the faithfulness of God. So when it comes to our situations in life, and there's all kinds of situations in this room right now, they look like giants to you. There's a parallel. And that giant could be a financial giant staring you down. That giant could be a relational giant that just seems to be mocking you right now. A physical or emotional giant causing you to be anxious or afraid. A past hurt or trauma that you just can't get over. And that giant seems to be tormenting your life, taunting you. Instead of trying to take control and do it in your own power or muster up some courage from within or giving up or cowering in fear, what are some of the promises that you need to remember today to help you to stand firm in the present? What God has done in the past, what he promised to do in the future because he is faithful and he never will lose the battle as we just sang a moment ago. If that is true, what can you remember in the past to help you fight in the present today? Can I give you one powerful passage that I've already read? I started off this morning because I thought it was important, and I want to encourage your faith again through it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, basically when you had no power to change the situation that you were in, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This describes the powerful impact of the cross of Christ and what we often need to remember when it comes to the battles that we face today. The power of the cross of Christ. My friends, we can always come back to the cross. We can always come back to the cross in order to remember correctly and to build our faith in times of trouble and spiritual battles so that we can be courageous, which God is calling us to do. Be strong and courageous in yourself, no, but in the faithfulness of God. So what do we remember first about the cross? We remember that the cross has disarmed the powers of darkness. When we remember this, it helps us to have faith and courage. Because of the cross, we now have authority over all the evil spiritual powers of this world. And when you realize that, you become more courageous in Christ. We have the power to break spiritual strongholds, hello, that are oppressing our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can pray for God's authority, to his power to show up, to break this stronghold. We can believe that the oppression that covers our community can be broken, that the oppression that covers our state and our nation, our world, can be broken by the power of the gospel. We can believe that. This is the superpower of the cross, if you will, and the resurrection. 
See, what looked like the Roman execution of another man was really the divine execution of God's redemptive plan. Second, we remember the cross of Christ has delivered us from the fear of death. Is there anything that scares us more than the reality and the fear of death? I mean, if we truly understood what eternity was going to look like, it should terrify us apart from Christ. Did you know that 100% of people that live die? Fun fact. But here's the promise to set us free from this fear, and this is this pit of hopelessness. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, Jesus that is, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What he's saying is you don't have to be held in slavery to the fear of death anymore because of the power of the cross. We have power over death. It has delivered us from the fear of death. And obviously death is still our enemy. We still die physically, but it is defanged, if you will. The deadly sting is gone. In this analogy of the movie, the dragon's fire has been extinguished. Jesus broke the power of sin and death. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 says that death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? doesn't have one anymore. In our final movie scenes today, I hope to illustrate the seriousness of spiritual battle. And these are, again, these battle scenes and these epic moments of these movies that we all cheer about and that we are all, yes, good is overcoming evil. But it also, I want to illustrate for us the seriousness of the spiritual battle that you're in today. Every time that you draw a breath, every time that you face a new day, the battle that you're facing, yet, here's the good news, the power that you have at your access through the cross of Christ to defeat the enemy and all of the foes that he uses against you. One of the ways that we're going to do that is doing it together. That those who were once enemies are now allies. So let's watch this next clip. We don't need your help. We are the mighty work together please sir. you know what the scene reminds me of it reminds me of the impact of the cross in the third and final way that when we remember the cross of Christ we remember that it broke down the wall of division those who were once enemies now work together to defeat a greater foe why is it this this one seems to be the hardest for us in the world today Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, there was no greater barrier, no greater ethnic divide than that between the Jew and the Gentile. The enemy had a heyday with that one. Until Scripture says Jesus tore down the dividing wall and united them in Christ, and those who were once enemies now became family. And it seems foolish to me that we can't admit that our world is still divided and torn by the demonic evil of racism. That stems from the darkness that plagues every human heart. 
Only the power of the cross can break through all the barriers and prejudices that we all have to battle. God's forgiveness of our sins motivates us to forgive others and walk in forgiveness. God's kindness and mercy towards us compels us to show the same mercy and kindness towards others, even our enemies. And the church shines brighter when those who were once enemies now become a spiritual family. The church is more powerful when instead of fighting one another, we join together in the fight against our common enemy. Again, how is this possible? Through the cross of Jesus Christ, the victory that we've been given, through his death and resurrection, he has defeated our greatest enemy, or as the book of Revelation calls him, the devil, the great dragon. So in this last scene, this is really kind of the culmination of this movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm kind of ruining it for you, but hey, you've known about this movie for a long time, so it's on you. But this last scene, we see this overcoming of good, this final great overcoming good, overcoming evil. Let's watch. about you but I think about what the cross did to our enemy blew him up in many ways everything that he expected he was going to do was turned over the power of the cross you see in the battle for the garden Adam chose power and the world was cursed in the battle that raged in the Gethsemane garden and finished outside the walls of Jerusalem Jesus chose the father and the redeemed of all time became blessed Our first champion was vanquished by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our true champion, Jesus, vanquished the world, the flesh, the devil, and death for his people. In Adam, we were all made slaves and enemies of God. In Christ, we're all made sons and daughters of God, and in the ages to come, kings and queens. A cosmic battle is still taking place with the gospel. This is what I want us to understand today. The battle is being waged today through the, though the question of victory was decided on the cross already. That's what we remember. Our lives as Christians play out that cosmic struggle every single day and we rejoice and share Jesus because in him rests the truth that allows our name to be found in the Lamb's book of life. Think of the blessing of sharing in the harvest that we have today, church. We belong to a 2,000-year-old heritage of gospel ministry. My point today is that even now we get to contribute to a battle to reverse the presence of evil in the world. We partake in a relationship with the Lord of heaven and earth. We experience the blessing of forgiveness that only he offers, a blessing that comes to those who see and receive Jesus as Lord. 2,000 years may have passed, but the greatness and the uniqueness of that blessing never fades. We all have a choice to fight, and we all have access to the same power to win through the cross of Jesus Christ. Evil forces in the presence of death cannot resist authority the authority of Jesus, and that authority has been given to each of you in Christ. If we put our faith in him, not just for salvation, but even right now, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, that our faith would be in him alone. That would give us courage, courage not just to 
to fight the fights that we're in, but to share the gospel message with those around us so that it's not a surprise that the power of the resurrection lives inside of me. It's not a surprise that the power of the resurrection lives inside of you to those who know you. But I do want it to be a good surprise to those that are around us that that same power is available to them through the power of the gospel. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.